June 3rd to 9th of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Kenny. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, June 3rd. These were potters, and those that dwelt among plants and hedges. There they dwelt, with the king for his work. First Chronicles 4.23 Potters were the very highest grade of workers, but the king needed potters, and therefore they were in royal service, although the material upon which they worked was nothing but clay. We, too, may be engaged in the most menial part of the Lord's work, but it is a great privilege to do anything for the king. Therefore, we will abide in our calling, hoping that, although we have lean among the pots, yet shall we be as the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. The text tells us of those who dwelt among plants and hedges, having rough, rustic, hedging and ditching work to do. They may have desired to live in the city amid its life, society, and refinement, but they kept their appointed places, for they also were doing the king's work. The place of our habitation is fixed, and we are not to remove from it out of whim and caprice, but seek to serve the Lord in it. By his being a blessing to those among whom we reside, those potters and gardeners had royal company, for they dwelt with the king, and although among hedges and plants, they dwelt with the king there. No lawful place or gracious occupation, however mean, can debar us from communion with our divine Lord. Visiting hovels, swarming lodging houses, workhouses, or jails, we may go with the king. In all works of faith, we may count upon Jesus' fellowship. It is when we are in his work that we may reckon upon his smile. Ye unknown workers who are occupied for your Lord amid the dirt and wretchedness of the lowest of the low, be of good cheer, for jewels have been found upon dunghills ere now, earthen pots have been filled with heavenly treasure, and ill weeds have been transformed into precious flowers. Dwell ye with the king for his work, and when he writes his chronicles, your name shall be recorded. Evening, June 3rd. He humbled himself. Philippians 2.8 Jesus is the greatest teacher of lowliness of heart. We need daily to learn of him. See the master taking a towel and washing his disciples' feet. Follower of Christ, wilt thou not humble thyself? See him as a servant of servants, and surely thou canst not be proud. Is not this sentence the compendium of his biography? He humbled himself? Was he not on earth always stripping off first one robe of honor and then another, till, naked, he was fastened to the cross, and there did he empty out his inmost self, pouring out his lifeblood, giving up all for us, till they laid him penniless in a borrowed grave? How low was our dear Redeemer brought! How then can we be proud? Stand at the foot of the cross and count the purple drops by which you have been cleansed. See the thorn crown. Mark his scourged shoulders, still gushing with encrimsoned rills. 
see hands and feet given up to the rough iron and his whole self to mockery and scorn. See the bitterness and the pangs and the throes of inward grief showing themselves in his outward frame. Hear the thrilling shriek, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you do not lie prostrate on the ground before that cross, you have never seen it. If you are not humbled in the presence of Jesus, you do not know him. You were so lost that nothing could save you but the sacrifice of God's only begotten. Think of that. And as Jesus stooped for you, bow yourself in loneliness at his feet. A sense of Christ's amazing love to us has a greater tendency to humble us than even a consciousness of our own guilt. May the Lord bring us in contemplation to Calvary. Then our position will no longer be that of the pompous man of pride, but we shall take the humble place of one who loves much because much has been forgiven him. Pride cannot live beneath the cross. Let us sit there and learn our lesson, and then rise and carry it into practice. Morning, June 4th. The kindness and love of God our Savior. Titus 3.4 How sweet it is to behold the Savior communing with his own beloved people. There can be nothing more delightful than, by the divine Spirit, to be led into this fertile field of delight. Let the mind for an instant consider the history of the Redeemer's love, and a thousand enchanting acts of affection will suggest themselves, all of which have had for their design the weaving of the heart into Christ, and the intertwisting of the thoughts and emotions of the renewed soul with the mind of Jesus. When we meditate upon this amazing love, and behold the all-glorious kinsman of the church, endowing her with all his ancient wealth, our souls may well faint for joy. Who is he that can endure such a weight of love? That partial sense of it, which the Holy Spirit is sometimes pleased to afford, is more than the soul can contain. How transporting must be a complete view of it! When the soul shall have understanding to discern all the Savior's gifts, wisdom wherewith to estimate them, and time in which to meditate upon them, such as the world to come will afford us, we shall then commune with Jesus in a nearer matter than at present. But who can imagine the sweetness of such fellowship? It must be one of the things which have not entered into the heart of man, but which God hath prepared for them that love him. Oh, to burst open the door of Joseph's granaries, and see the plenty which he hath stored up for us! This will overwhelm us with love. By faith we see, as in a glass darkly, reflected image of his unbounded treasures. But when we shall actually see the heavenly things themselves, with our own eyes, how deep will be the stream of fellowship in which our soul shall bathe itself. Till then, our loudest sonnets shall be reserved for our loving benefactor, Jesus Christ our Lord, whose love to us is wonderful, passing the love of woman. Evening, June 4th. Received up into glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 We have seen our well-beloved Lord in the days of his flesh, humiliated and sore vexed. For he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He whose brightness is as the morning wore the sackcloth of sorrow as his daily dress. 
Shame was his mantle, and reproach his vesture. Yet now, inasmuch as he has triumphed over all the powers of darkness upon the bloody tree, our faith beholds our king returning with dyed garments from Edom, robed in the splendor of victory. How glorious must he have been in the eyes of seraphs, when a cloud received him out of mortal sight, and he sent it up to heaven. Now he wears the glory which he had with God, or ever the earth was, and yet another glory above all, that which he has well earned in the fight against sin, death, and hell. As victor he wears the illustrious crown. Hark how the song swells high, it is a new and sweeter song. Worthy is a lamb who was slain, for he hath redeemed us unto God by his blood. He wears the glory of an intercessor who can never fail, of a prince who can never be defeated, of a conqueror who has vanquished every foe, of a lord who has the heart's allegiance of every subject. Jesus wears all the glory which the pomp of heaven can bestow upon him, which ten thousand times ten thousand angels can minister to him. You cannot, with your utmost stretch of imagination, conceive his exceeding greatness. Yet there will be a further revelation of it when he shall descend from heaven in great power with all the holy angels. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Oh, the splendor of that glory! It will ravish his people's hearts. Nor is this the close, for eternity shall sound his praise. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Reader, if you would joy in Christ's glory hereafter, he must be glorious in your sight now. Is he so? Morning, June 5th. The Lord shut him in. Genesis 7.16 Noah was shut in away from all the world by the hand of divine love. The door of electing purpose interposes between us and the world which lieth in the wicked one. We are not of the world, even as our Lord Jesus was not of the world. Into the sin, the gaiety, the pursuits of the multitude we cannot enter. We cannot play in the streets of Vanity Fair with the children of darkness. For our Heavenly Father has shut us in. Noah was shut in with his God. Come thou into the ark, was the Lord's invitation, by which he clearly showed that he himself intended to dwell in the ark with his servant and his family. Thus all the chosen dwell in God and God in them. Happy people to be enclosed in the same circle which contains God in the trinity of his persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us never be inattentive to that gracious call. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee and hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed noah was so shut in that no evil could reach him floods did but lift him heavenward and winds did but waft him on his way outside of the ark all was ruin but inside all was rest and peace without christ we perish but in christ jesus there is perfect safety Noah was so shut in that he could not even desire to come out. And those who are in Christ Jesus are in him forever. They shall go no more out forever. For eternal faithfulness has shut them in, and infernal malice cannot drag them out. 
The prince of the house of David shutteth, and no man openeth. And when once in the last days is master of the house, he shall rise up and shut the door. It will be in vain for mere professors to knock, and cry, Lord, Lord, open unto us. For that same door which shuts in the wise virgins will shut out the foolish forever. Lord, shut me in by thy grace. Evening, June 5th. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. 1 John 4, 8. The distinguishing mark of a Christian is his confidence in the love of Christ and the yielding of his affections to Christ in return. First, faith sets her seal upon the man by enabling the soul to say with the apostle, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. Then love gives the countersign and stamps upon the heart, gratitude and love to Jesus in return. We love him because he first loved us. In those grand old ages, which we are the heroic period of the Christian religion, this double mark was clearly to be seen in all believers in Jesus. They were men who knew the love of Christ, and rested upon it as a man leaneth upon a staff whose trustiness he has tried. The love which they felt towards the Lord was not a quiet emotion which they hid within themselves in the secret chamber of their souls, and which they only spake of in their private assemblies when they met on the first day of the week, and sang hymns in honor of Christ Jesus the Crucified, but it was a passion with them of such a vehement and all-consuming energy, that it was visible in all their actions, spoke in their common talk, and looked out of their eyes even in their commonest glances. Love to Jesus was a flame which fed upon the core and heart of their being, and, therefore, from its own force burned its way into the outer man and shone there. Zeal for the glory of King Jesus was the seal and mark of all genuine Christians. Because of their dependence upon Christ's love, they dared much, and because of their love to Christ, they did much. And it is the same now. The children of God are ruled in their inmost powers by love, love of Christ constraineth them. They rejoice that divine love is set upon them. They feel it shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto them, and then by force of gratitude they love the Savior with a pure heart, fervently. My reader, do you love him? Ere you sleep, give an honest answer to a weighty question. Morning, June 6th. Behold, I am vile, Job 44. One cheering word, poor lost sinner, for thee. You think you must not come to God because you are vile. Now, there is not a saint living on earth but has been made to feel that he is vile. If Job and Isaiah and Paul were all obliged to say, I am vile, O oh, poor sinner, wilt thou be ashamed to join in the same confession? If divine grace does not eradicate all sin from the believer, how dost thou hope to do it thyself? If God loves his people while they are yet vile, dost thou think thy vileness will prevent his loving thee? Believe on Jesus, thou outcast of the world's society. Jesus calls thee, and such as thou art. Not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. Even now say, Thou hast died for sinners. I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, sprinkle thy blood on me. If thou wilt confess thy sin, thou shalt find pardon. 
If now, with all thy heart, thou wilt say, I am vile, wash me, thou shalt be washed now. If the Holy Spirit shall enable thee from thy heart to cry, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Thou shalt rise from reading this morning's portion with all thy sins pardoned, and though thou didst wake this morning with every sin that man hath ever committed on thy head, thou shalt rest tonight accepted in the Beloved. Though once degraded with the rags of sin, thou shalt be adorned with a robe of righteousness and appear white as the angels are. For now, mark it, now is the accepted time. If thou believest on him who justifieth the ungodly, thou art saved. Oh, may the Holy Spirit give thee saving faith in him who receives the vilest. Evening, June 6th. Are they Israelites? So am I. 2 Corinthians 11.22 We have here a personal claim and one that needs proof. The apostle knew that his claim was indisputable. There are many persons who have no right to the title who yet claim to belong to the Israel of God. If we are with confidence declaring, so am I also an Israelite, let us only say it after having searched our heart as in the presence of God. But if we can give proof that we are following Jesus, if we can from the heart say, I trust him wholly, trust him only, trust him simply, trust him now, and trust him ever, then the position which the saints of God hold belongs to us. All their enjoyments are our possessions. We may be the very least in Israel, less than the least of all saints, yet since the mercies of God belong to the saints as saints, and not as advanced saints, or well-taught saints, we may put in our plea and say, Are they Israelites? So am I. Therefore the promises are mine, grace is mine, glory will be mine. The claim, rightfully made, is one which will yield untold comfort. When God's people are rejoicing that they are his, what a happiness if they can say, So am I! When they speak of being pardoned and justified and accepted in the Beloved, how joyful to respond, To the grace of God, so am I! But this claim not only has its enjoyments and privileges, but also its conditions and duties. We must share with God's people in cloud as well as in sunshine. When we hear them spoken of with contempt and ridicule for being Christians, we must come boldly forward and say, so am I. When we see them working for Christ, giving their time, their talent, their whole heart to Jesus, we must be able to say, so do I. Oh, let us prove our gratitude by our devotion and live as those who, having claimed a privilege, are willing to take the responsibility connected with it. Morning, June 7th. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Psalm 97.10 Thou hast good reason to hate evil, for only consider what harm it has already wrought thee. Oh, what a world of mischief sin has brought into thy heart! Sin blinded thee so that thou couldst not see the beauty of the Savior. It made thee deaf so that thou couldst not hear the Redeemer's tender invitations. 
sin turn thy feet into the way of death and poured poison into the very fountain of thy being. It tainted thy heart and made it deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Oh, what a creature thou wast when evil had done its utmost with thee before divine grace interposed. Thou wast an heir of wrath even as others. Thou didst run with the multitude to do evil. Such were all of us. But Paul reminds us, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We have good reason, indeed, for hating evil when we look back and trace its deadly workings. Such mischief did evil do us that our souls would have been lost had not omnipotent love interfered to redeem us. Even now it is an active enemy ever watching to do us hurt and to drag us to perdition. Therefore, hate evil, O Christians, unless you desire trouble. If you would strew your path with thorns and plant nettles in your death pillow, then neglect to hate evil. But if you would live a happy life and die a peaceful death, then walk in all the ways of holiness, hating evil even unto the end. If you truly love your Savior and would honor him, then hate evil. We know of no cure for the love of evil in a Christian like abundant intercourse with the Lord Jesus. Dwell much with him, and it is impossible for you to be at peace with sin. Order my footsteps by thy word, and make my heart sincere. Let no sin have dominion, Lord, but keep my conscience clear. Evening, June 7th. Be zealous. Revelation 3.19 if you would see souls converted, if you would hear the cry that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, if you would place crowns upon the head of the Savior and his throne lifted high, then be filled with zeal. For under God, the way of the world's conversion must be by the zeal of the church. Every grace shall do exploits, but this shall be first. Prudence, knowledge, patience, and courage will follow in their places. But zeal must lead the van. It is not the extent of your knowledge, though that is useful. It is not the extent of your talent, though that is not to be despised. It is your zeal that shall do great exploits. This zeal is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It draws its vital force from the continued operations of the Holy Ghost and the soul. If our inner life dwindles, if our heart beats slowly before God, we shall not know zeal. But if all be strong and vigorous within, then we cannot but feel a loving anxiety to see the kingdom of Christ come and his will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. A deep sense of gratitude will nourish Christian zeal. Looking to the hole of the pit whence we were digged, we find abundant reason why we should spend and be spent for God. And zeal is also stimulated by the thought of the eternal future. It looks with tearful eyes down to the flames of hell and it cannot slumber. It looks up with anxious gaze to the glories of heaven and it cannot but bestir itself. It feels that time is short compared with the work to be done. And therefore it devotes all that it has to the cause of its Lord and it is ever strengthened by the remembrance of Christ's example. He was clothed with zeal as with a cloak. 
how swift the chariot wheels of duty went with him. He knew no loitering by the way. Let us prove that we are his disciples by manifesting the same spirit of zeal. Morning, June 8th. There fell down many slain, because the war was of God. First Chronicles 5.22 Warrior, fighting on the banner of the Lord Jesus, observe this verse with holy joy. For as it was in the days of old, so it is now. If the war be of God, the victory is sure. The sons of Reuben and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh could barely muster five and forty thousand fighting men, and yet in their war with the Hagarites they slew men an hundred thousand, for they cried to God in the battle, and he was entreated of them, because they put their trust in him. The Lord saveth not by many nor by few. It is ours to go forth in Jehovah's name, if we be but a handful of men, for the Lord of hosts is with us for our captain." They did not neglect buckler and sword and bow, neither did they place their trust in these weapons. We must use all fitting means, but our confidence must rest in the Lord alone, for he is the sword and the shield of his people. The great reason of their extraordinary success lay in the fact that the war was of God. Beloved, in fighting with sin, without and within, with error doctrinal or practical, with spiritual wickedness in high places or low places, with devils and the devil's allies, you are waging Jehovah's war, and unless he himself can be worsted, you need not fear defeat. Quail not before superior numbers, shrink not from difficulties or impossibilities. Flinch not at wounds or death, smite with the two-edged sword of the spirit, and the slain shall lie in heaps. The battle is the Lord's, and he will deliver his enemies into our hands. With steadfast foot, strong hand, dauntless heart, and flaming zeal, rush to the conflict, and the hosts of evil shall fly like chaff before the gale. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, the strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle, the next the victor's song. To him that overcometh a crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory shall reign eternally. Evening, June 8th. Thou shalt see whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Numbers 11.23 God had made a positive promise to Moses that for the space of a whole month he would feed the vast host in the wilderness with flesh. Moses, being overtaken by a fit of unbelief, looks to the outward means and is at a loss to know how the promise can be fulfilled. He looked to the creature instead of the creator, but doth the Creator expect the creature to fulfill his promise for him? No, he who makes the promise ever fulfills it by his own unaided omnipotence. If he speaks, it is done, done by himself. His promises do not depend for their fulfillment upon the cooperation of the puny strength of man. We can at once perceive the mistake which Moses made, and yet how commonly we do the same. God has promised to supply our needs, and we look to the creature to do what God has promised to do, and then, because we perceive the creature to be weak and feeble, we indulge in unbelief. Why look we to that quarter at all? Will you look to the North Pole to gather fruits ripened in the sun? Verily, you would act no more foolishly if you did this than when you look to the weak for strength and to the creature to do the Creator's work. Let us, then, 
put the question on the right footing. The ground of faith is not the sufficiency of the visible means for the performance of the promise, but the all-sufficiency of the invisible God, who will most surely do as he hath said. If after clearly seeing that the onus lies with the Lord and not with the creature, we dare to indulge in mistrust, the question of God becomes more mightily to us. Has the Lord's hand waxed short? May it happen, too, in his mercy, that with the question there may flash upon our souls that blessed declaration, Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Morning, June 9th. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Psalm 126, 3. Some Christians are sadly prone to look on the dark side of everything, and to dwell more upon what they have gone through than upon what God has done for them. Ask for their impression of the Christian life, and they will describe their continual conflicts, their deep afflictions, their sad adversities, and the sinfulness of their hearts. Yet with scarcely any allusion to the mercy and help which God has vouchsafed them. But a Christian whose soul is in a healthy state will come forward joyously and say, I will speak not about myself, but to the honor of my God. He hath brought me up out of a horrible pit, and out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. The Lord hath done great things for me, whereof I am glad. Such an abstract of experience as this is the very best that any child of God can present. It is true that we endure trials, but it is just as true that we are delivered out of them. It is true that we have our corruptions, and mournfully do we know this, but it is quite as true that we have an all-sufficient Savior who overcomes these corruptions and delivers us from their dominion. In looking back, it would be wrong to deny that we have been in the slough of despond and have crept along the valley of humiliation, but it would be equally wicked to forget that we have been through them safely and profitably. We have not remained in them thanks to our almighty helper and leader, who has brought us out into a wealthy place. The deeper our troubles, the louder our thanks to God, who has led us through all and preserved us until now. Our griefs cannot mar the melody of our praise. We reckon them to be the base part of our life's longing. He hath done great things for us, wherever we are glad. Evening, June 9th. Search the Scriptures, John 5:39. The Greek word here rendered search signifies a strict, close, diligent, curious search, such as men make when they are seeking gold or hunters when they are in earnest after game. We must not rest content with having given a superficial reading to a chapter or two, but with the candle of the Spirit we must deliberately seek out the hidden meaning of the word. Holy Scripture requires searching. Much of it can only be learned by careful study. There is milk for babes, but also meat for strong men. The rabbis wisely say that a mountain of matter hangs upon every word, yea, upon every title of scripture. 
Tertullian exclaims, I adore the fullness of the scriptures. No man who merely skims the book of God can profit thereby. We must dig and mine until we obtain the hid treasure. The door of the word only opens to the key of diligence. The scriptures claim searching. They are the writings of God, bearing the divine stamp of the imprimatur. Who shall dare to treat them with levity? He who despises them despises the God who wrote them. God forbid that any of us should leave our Bibles to become swift witnesses against us in the great day of account. The word of God will repay searching. God does not bid us sift a mountain or chaff with here and there a grain of wheat in it, but the Bible is winnowed corn. We have but to open the granary door and find it. Scripture grows upon the student. It is full of surprises. Under the teaching of the Holy Spirit, to the searching eye, it glows with splendor of revelation, like a vast temple paved with wrought gold and roofed with rubies, emeralds, and all manner of gems. No merchandise is like the merchandise of scripture truth. Lastly, the scriptures reveal Jesus. They are they which testify of me. No more powerful motive can be urged upon Bible readers than this. He who finds Jesus finds life, heaven, all things. Happy he who, searching his Bible, discovers his savior. End of June 3rd tonight.